In keeping with this season of miracles and magic, we have the most miraculous magical guest of all back with us in the studio. Hey, Santa Claus. It's me, Santa Claus. <laughs> you are. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back to us again. Eh, no biggie. I needed the smoke. <laughs> okay, can you not smoke at the North Pole? Oh, you're kidding me. With the elves, you light one lousy stoke. The fetching is unbearable. <laughs> and Drew, if it's not one thing they're complaining about, it's another. Oh, I'm allergic to smoke. I can't eat anything with nuts in it. Eh, stop grabbing my butt. <laughs> eh. They're never happy. <laughs> they, sound, they sound almost like Democrats. Oy, no joke. Plus, they live to be 150. So it's like an entire toy factory full of mini Bernie Sanders. Cute, tiny little Bernies with their pointy hats and their little slippers with bells on them and their firm, round little butts. <laughs> I wake up screaming, Drew. <laughs> that does sound uh, somewhat nightmarish, a little bit cross between a nightmare and a fantasy, but uh, let me, you know, I keep hearing about Is this. There a difference? <laughs> I keep hearing about this war on Christmas. Is that a real thing? Oh, yeah. I mean, but fortunately, that other fat guy, you, you know, the one with, with the red hat who brings joy to the masses. Uh, what's his name? Uh, you got me. Uh, the president of the United States. Oh, yeah, States, yo, Trump, Donald, Trump. Donald yeah, Trump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 him. <laughs> fortunately, he got us tax reform. So I'm giving every elf a 2,000 candy cane bonus. <laughs> it's already plus, kicking in. Yeah, plus I'm planning to spend like $2 billion on infrastructure in the Midwest. <laughs> I think it'll keep him happy for, you know, like five minutes. You just, you're just a giver person that's the way you are you know i've been accused <laughs> so so aside from that is there in fact a war on christmas are you kidding me <laughs> oh have you been to starbucks lately <laughs> they're monsters plus with the cups <laughs> uh, whenever i fly listen the war on christmas a lot of talk about it i have a different view than most because when i'm flying over one of these commie countries you know like north korea new york <laughs> suddenly the reindeer start shouting, flack, flack, flack. I mean, at first I thought they were just playing some of their reindeer games. Oh, because believe me, these reindeers with their games. Oh, don't get me started. It's like grandma's worth 15 points. Yeah, we get it, guys. Every year, they're animals. Anyway, they start yelling flack. Then shells start exploding all around me. You're kidding me. There's, wait, they're actually firing on you? There's a literal war on Christmas? What, am I talking to myself here? <laughs> yeah, it's a war. There's rockets flying through the air. There's bombs bursting. It's like the Star Spangled Banner up there, Drew. That's... I'm, I'm screaming at him. I'm saying, what are you doing? It's me, Santa Claus. And I'm bringing toys, presents to good little girls and boys. And then I take an RPG right in the kisser. Uh, the mom's is. <laughs> Wait a who, who, would try, who would try to shoot down Santa Claus? I know, right? I'm an actual saint. Hey, hey, Drew. Hey, Drew. You know what the Santa in Santa Claus stands for? Saint. <laughs> I'm usually tremendously popular. Well, you know, let me say, I believe that no matter what, the, the spirit of Christmas will live forever. Oh, I mean, if you say so, I'm just a guy riding a sleigh through a literal kill zone. What do I know? Well, listen, before you go, would you say, say uh, wish Merry Christmas to my audience? What audience? <laughs> ho, 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 ho. <laughs> See, you believe in Santa Claus, but he doesn't believe in you. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. <laughs> Life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing. Hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy. Lord, is it bitty zing It's a wonderful day. Hurrah, hooray. It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hurrah. All right, where else do you get an interview with Santa Claus? Come on. All right, it's the last show of the year. This is it. The Clavenless holidays are upon us. We're going to talk about Christmas. We'll talk about a Christmas carol. We have a professor, Dr. Dwight Lindley from the uh, from Hillsdale College, a Victorian uh, literature professor, who will talk to us about uh, Charles Dickens and a Christmas carol. We'll talk about Christmas movies. I have a Christmas movie quiz that I'll uh, put before you, and then uh, you know we'll talk about some uh, some taxes, cutting taxes. I don't know. We'll uh, something. We'll think about something. Meanwhile, meanwhile, if you're still looking for stuff to put in your stocking. Here's the thing. 
use it, but you should have put a tracker on it. So then you would find the stuff to put in the stocking, or you could just put a tracker in somebody's stocking. This is T-R-A-C-K-R. It is a genuine revolution in tracking devices. It's about the size of a nickel, between a dime and a nickel. You can attach it to your wallet, your phone, your keys, whatever. And then when you lose it, uh, when you lose your keys, as I so often do, uh, you have an app on your smartphone and you press the app and it will take you to the thing that you've lost. And it's kind of like ways it will tell you you're getting closer, you're getting further away. They're using all the different uh, people who have it to track your stuff. I've used it up in the hills when I'm hiking. I have seriously, you lose your keys when you're hiking. It's awful because you have to go down the mountain and then you have to go back up the mountain to find your keys. But with a tracking device, you can find them really quickly. You know where they are. It's great. And if you lose your, you say, well, what happens if you lose your smartphone? You just press the tracker and your smartphone starts to beep. So it's really terrific. If it's like I said, it's T-R-A-C-K-R and it's a great gift during the holiday season. And you can save 20% off your order when you go to thetracker.com slash Clavin, K-L-A-V-A-N. Do it to keep our lights on, but also to get yourself a tracker device at 20% off. That's thetracker.com. Let me spell it. T-H-E-T-R-A-C-K-R.com slash Clavin. 20% off at thetracker.com slash Clavin. Really fun gift to give somebody, especially somebody like me who is absent-minded and uh, loses everything. So, you know, I, I once pointed out, and I have pointed out probably more, more times than I should have, that when you're worried about stuff, you should always ask yourself, am I worried about stuff that is actually happening or am I worried about stuff that I think may happen? You know, the stuff that's out there in the future. And when I look back at this year, uh, really, you know, so much of so many of the things that I worried were going to happen didn't happen. And they didn't happen in the strangest way. Like I worried that Donald Trump was going to revert to his Democrat instincts, especially with the Republicans kind of bobbling the ball on healthcare, but instead, through the wonderful uh, manipulations of God, as God manipulating history, uh, the the Democrats were so hateful, and the media was so hateful and so dishonest, and so uh, you know their resistance was just a constant barrage of attacks that they didn't give Trump any room to move to the left. If they had done what I told Republicans to do, which was play the cards you're dealt, if they had said, okay, you know, Trump is president, we're not going to impeach him, is there's no Russia collusion, let's let's now deal with the president we have. If they had done that, I think Trump would have been a lot more amenable to shifting toward the left. Bad for us. But, but through the wonderful mercy of he who runs the world, uh, you know, they didn't give him any room. And now we've had this fantastic, fantastic year uh, for conservatives. It's just been great. And I just want to take a quick look before we start talking about Christmas, because it really is Christmas, at some of the fun that uh, was to be had yesterday as they celebrated this tremendous uh, uh, tax bill, which I really do think is going to do everything that the Republicans say. One of the uh, one of the congressmen, the Democrat congressman, was complaining that they said it would do everything but help the Cleveland Browns win the Super Bowl. It would not surprise me at this point if the Cleveland Browns won the Super Bowl. And, and you know, Trump, the other thing I've been saying all year is that Trump learns stuff. He learns stuff. The Trump who was elected could not have wrangled the cats in the Congress to uh, to do what he wanted him to do. But Trump learned that it was a chaotic process, that he didn't have all the power in the world. And instead of doing what Obama did, which was go for his pen and his phone and just ignore the Congress, he wrangled, he learned to wrangle the cats. And he did, you know, it's obviously, it, he was a big, he got a lot of help from uh, Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan, can't do it without those guys. We on the right sometimes beat up on them because they, they don't do, they're institutional guys, they don't do the kind of thing that, that the radio uh, talk show hosts tell us they should do because they're out there in the midst of it trying to get all these different people with all these different agenda uh, together to get them to do what they want to do. And it's hard. And Mitch McConnell is a realist. He, you know, he knew that he had to do something or else he was going to lose everybody. They, they're telling us the polls are showing a complete disaster in the midterms. I, what I would tell you is don't worry about it yet. Uh, you know, we do not know what's going to happen. So I just want to take a quick uh, couple of looks at some of the fun cuts that came out yesterday because Trump had this big, you know, uh, love fest out on the uh, Capitol, uh, out on the uh, steps of the White House. And uh, he had this wonderful uh, thing, I think it was cut number two, uh, where he thanked uh, the, the gang. I want to thank uh, Mitch McConnell. I want to thank, uh, what a job. What a job. And I want to thank Paul. They're going to speak. They're going to say a few words. But 
Paul Ryan uh, and Mitch, it was a little team. We just got together and we would work very hard, didn't we, huh? It seems like it was a lot of fun. It's always a lot of fun when you win. If you work hard and lose, that's not acceptable. <laughs> that's a, he's, he likes that winning, uh, our president, and he, he certainly won a big one this time. He won't be signing this until January, because if he signs it now, then they would have to uh, basically adjust the budget, and the, the idea of the government living within its means is too hor horrific for them to contemplate. But here was my other favorite cut, was Trump, uh, as he was getting together for a work meeting, he uh, he he pointed out, which no one, which he hadn't done up until that point, that the bill repeals the individual mandate. And this is just just a wonderful Trumpian moment. The individual mandate is being repealed. When the individual mandate is being repealed, that means Obamacare is being repealed because they get their money from the individual <laughs> mandate. So the individual mandate is being repealed. So in this bill, not only do we have massive tax cuts and tax reform, we have essentially repealed Obamacare, and we'll come up with something that will be much better, whether it's uh, block grants or whether it's taking what we have and doing something <clears throat> terrific. But Obamacare has been repealed in this bill. We didn't want to bring it up. I told people specifically, be quiet with the fake news media because I don't want them talking too much about it because I didn't know how people would. But now that it's approved, I can say the individual mandate on health care where you had to pay not to have insurance. OK, think of that one. You pay not to have insurance. The individual mandate has been repealed. What I love about this is he just right into the face of what he calls the fake news media. He says, we didn't talk about it because we didn't want you to talk about it. And they didn't really, they didn't catch on to this. And now he says that's a, a, an effectively a repeal of Obamacare. That's not quite true. There's all kinds of different ways, but it does take away a major crotch and something that was just un-American and unfair, forcing Americans to pay for something that they didn't do, as, as Trump himself said. So just compare that for a minute. If you just want to, if, if you want proof if you want proof that the Democrats and the media are basically the same people, just compare that to a minute uh, for a minute to what you got from Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. Uh, this is cut six. <laughs> Chuck, Chuck, Chuck. All right, let's hear the real one. Now we know they're popping champagne down Pennsylvania Avenue. There are only two places where America's popping champagne, the White House and the corporate boardrooms, including Trump Tower. Otherwise, Americans have a lot to regret. After all the president's promises, after all Republicans brazenly, brazenly transparent misrepresentations to the American people, the true face of what Republicans stand for has been revealed. <laughs> so when people find out that they're getting a tax cut, which they're going to have to find out through their actual paycheck because you'll never hear, they'll never hear it on the news. Listen to this media montage just to prove that the media and the Democrats are the exact same people. They're all working for the same team. Here is the media montage of, of reporting uh, from our friends at Newsbusters. They're reporting on this tax bill. I'm hysterical. I'm having hysterics. I'm hysterical. I can't stop when I get like this. I can't stop. I'm hysterical. I think I think I'm having too much fun at this point. This is, I, I have to go on vacation. Here's the real coverage of the tax passage. The White House calling it a middle class miracle. The president there surrounded by Republicans at the White House today. The biggest tax cuts will go to the wealthy, corporate America, and Republicans then argue that that money saved will then be reinvested in jobs and pay raises for the middle class. But will that happen? Not everyone is convinced, but the president is beaming. The Christmas promise he made is coming true. The president calls the tax plan a middle class miracle designed to deliver tax cuts for all American families. But corporate America gets a much bigger tax cut. We are making America Great. Again, you haven't heard that, have you? And earlier in a cabinet meeting, the president flaunted those tax benefits for big business. Our plan also lowers the tax on American business from 35 percent 
all the way down to 21%. That's probably the biggest factor in this plan. That cut for corporate America is permanent, but income tax cuts for individuals expire in eight years. So, so let me just go very quickly through why that those reports are just slanted and false. First, of course, the idea that there's somehow a giveaway here. Remember, the money that they, the government takes belongs to the people it is taking it from. Second, that corporations, when corporations get a tax cut, that corporations don't pay taxes. You pay their taxes. The corporation writes the check to pay the taxes, but you pay for the product, whatever they're doing, whatever whatever their tax goes up, you think they don't raise their prices? Of course, they raise their prices, and you pay their taxes. So their tax cut, <clears throat> their tax cut, not only is going to affect you there in terms of pricing, it's also going to affect you in terms of whether you have a job. Already, AT and T is announcing bonuses for people. They're announcing a, a billions billions of dollars of uh, new investment in the United States. Lots of corporations were doing that yesterday. It was a cascade effect. It's been amazing. And the idea that that's not going to affect you is crazy. And of course, the uh, the other thing, I mean, the three things are one, it's not a give back because the money belongs to you, not them. That's the first thing. Second, you pay corporate taxes. You pay the taxes that the, the you pay the money that the corporations pay in taxes. And of course, the the final thing is the obvious one is when they keep saying, well, rich people get more taxes back. Rich people pay more taxes. The Democrats feel that all the money, all the money are belong to them. And the idea is that they, it's their job to spread it around. And that's not true. The money belongs to the people who made it. They literally created the wealth. It's theirs. And stealing from one person at, at gunpoint is wrong. Stealing from everybody with the government guns is just as wrong. There's no way that that becomes suddenly right. So, you know, look, they could have reported this in a, an objective way that said it might not work, it might work. They could have done it from both sides, but they just give you the Democrat talking points every step of the way. Let us talk about a new sponsor we have, Thrive Market. Now, I've only had a chance to look at this because they came in at the last minute, but it really is an amazing thing. It's a, it's a, an absolutely new idea in getting kind of healthy food, whatever diet you're on, whatever, you know, if, if you're kosher, if you want a paleo diet, if you want, you know, uh, everything to be organic, this is the place you go and you will get incredibly good uh, prices. You get a, it's like a membership. So it's like one of like Costco or something like this, but it's just uh, incredibly inexpensive because it's online. They have the best quality products. They have all the top premium, healthy and organic products that you usually get from a grocery store. I mean, I'm, we always go to these uh, kind of offbeat grocery stores where you can get the good stuff. But unlike your typical organic and non-GMO products that are marked up to premium prices, Thrive Market sells the same organic and non-GMO premium products at wholesale prices. How do they do that? They cut out all the middlemen and they work directly with the brands and then they pass all that savings on to their members. And when they start to make a profit, because they they it takes a while because you have to become a member and you have to uh, actually become a shopper there before they start making money because they're giving this stuff away. It's so cheap. Uh, but then they start to give the money back. They Thrive Market donates uh, a membership to a low-income family, a veteran, or a teacher, and together everybody is making healthy living affordable for everyone. It's easier than a grocery store, and they have a curated catalog, so you you may find like two to three olive oils on Thrive Market, but you can trust that these are the best ones. And you can get $60 off free organic groceries and free shipping and a 30-day trial membership if you go to thrivemarket.com slash Andrew, keep in mind that Thrive Market's prices are already 25 to 50% below retail because they cut out the middleman, and now they're offering 60 bucks of free organic groceries and free shipping. So go to thrivemarket.com slash Andrew. Listeners will get $20 off their first three orders of $49 or more, plus free shipping. Our average order value is $60, so 49 bucks should be easy. Try them out. It helps us. It helps us keep the lights on, and it'll help you to get the best uh, food for your diet. Well, I want to start talking about Christmas because it's just enough politics already. Uh, have we got the professor? Are we still waiting? Okay. You know what we're going to do? We're going to start to take a look. Oh, we do have him. Oh, good. All right. Well, I'm going to then, in that case, uh, we're going to talk about uh, Charles Dickens first because Charles Dickens uh, has done so much to create the image of Christmas that is in our mind. Uh, today, have I got, is he ready to go? 
Excellent. So today I have Dr. Dwight Lindley. He teaches Victorian literature in the English department at Hillsdale College. He instructs about the works of Charles Dickens as well as other authors of the time. He got his PhD in literature from the Institute of Philosophic Studies at the University of Dallas. He is a member of the North American Victorian Studies Association. Dr. Lindley, are you there? There you are. Hi. Hi, how you doing? Very well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. I know it's Christmas time and everybody's busy. Uh, so I, I want to talk. I want to talk about Charles Dickens. I mean, it, he is one of my favorite authors, and *A Christmas Carol* to me is one of the great works of wisdom literature. One of the few works of wisdom sure. liter literature where we can identify an author. Um, <laughs> it, Dickens really did create a lot of what we think about Christmas, didn't he? I think that's right. I think uh, it. <laughs> He's sometimes spoken of as the, you know, as the inventor of Christmas, and there's a new movie out to this with this title right now. Um, I think he didn't invent everything about it, but he had a very focused vision for what he thought it should be, and he imaginatively really charged his society and all of us with that vision. So I, I think he's he's really left his imprint. Do you, do you know where? Do does anybody know where this? What the source of that vision was? <laughs> uh, sure, it's com it's it's complex, but I would argue uh, it's a fundamentally Christian vision. Uh, something that he was inspired by. He was inspired to try to return imaginatively um, into his to his English readers, but in a new way that wouldn't just simply repeat, um, wouldn't just simply repeat the words of the gospels, uh, you know, regarding the incarnation and uh, the miracle of Christmas, but would kind of represent it within the context of London, you know, mm. Victorian London. So he was kind of so, modernizing the idea of the gospels into the world that the people, that his readers were living in. That's right. I think so. I think he wants he wanted to be very palpable and kind of incarnated in his world. Uh, okay. If you want. Now, now, how did he how did he come to write a Christmas Carol? What was happening to him when he when he turned to that? Uh, story? Sure, sure. It was it was eighteen forty three, and he was he was already a well known author, not kind of magnificently successful as he would become later, but uh, he was well known. And he was uh, hard up. He he was in debt and needed some money quick. So he wrote this story, and and uh, <laughs> you know it's one of these things where a felicitous occasion presents uh, you know this possibility of saying something amazing. You know he, he wasn't planning to write this book, but then he had to, <laughs> and so he did it for <laughs> something amazing comes out of he that. He did it for the dough. Know? He was he was hard up. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's Samuel Samuel Johnson, Doctor Johnson said a hundred years before that. You know, it's it's a it's a fool who works for anything but money. <laughs> uh, now we can exaggerate that, but Dickens was definitely working for money. Yeah. Uh, what I would just say is that, in spite of that fact, or just along with that fact, uh, is the fact that he he's saying this this elicited something really profound from him, which then. Uh, really became like a major fascination and kind of almost philosophy for him for the rest of his life. This was a really important book for him. For him too. Personally. Yeah. And did people, and did people know, recognize the book when it came out? I mean, did they, did they like it? Was it an immediate hit? Oh yeah. I mean, it, it was, uh, he, he printed something like 6,000 copies of it at first and it sold out almost immediately. Wow. He had to hurry up and print more. It was immediately popular. Uh, so, so talk about you were talk, saying that this affected him. Talk, talk about why you think this this book is so. I mean, it's been made into a movie maybe a million times. There almost is yeah. there almost is outside of the Gospels and maybe how the Grinch stole Christmas. There almost is no other uh, <laughs> Christmas story that you can revisit like this. Uh, what what is it? Sure. What is it about this story that affected him and that affects everybody so much? Sure, sure. I've thought about this before. Why is it so striking, and why do we want to hear it again? Uh, one one thing I think is that he's responding to a basic desire 
in Western readers, um, which is at, at the at Christmas time to have some kind of meaningful encounter with transcendence, mm. with a world that's beyond ours, which nevertheless comes close to ours and charges it with meaning. You know, that's what the incarnation is. That's what the nativity, the Christmas story is. And so that's in the water in the West. And Dickens' response to that in his stories, I mean, in this story, he brings he brings that other world close to our to, to his world, to our world even, and and charge it and, and has it charge this world, his world with significance and meaning and uh, moral value. And you said... I think we, I think we want that. I, I, you know? I think so. I, I, I'm, I'm sure we do. You said that it affected him. Uh, I, I'm not sure I'd ever heard that before. How, did, how do you feel it affected Dickens? Oh, yeah. So, so in later years, after he wrote The Christmas Carol, A Christmas Carol, he would, he would look back and refer to it uh, as underlining his... <laughs> let's see, what did he call it? I think he called it his Carol philosophy. Mm. Uh, he was like, this is for him. He wasn't a philosopher, right? He wasn't a, right. a theorist or something. But he thought that this story caught up the things that were most important to him. And uh, and they, they keep on coming up in all of his books after this. What I mean is, especially, uh, especially one the importance of children and the poor mm. and how they are a special, they're special uh, ultimately to God, but they're kind of like, they have a fundamental importance in a society, the least of these, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, fundamentally, fundamentally important for Dickens in all of his subsequent books. And he really kind of brought that to the fore here in this book. Uh, interesting. And then the second, yeah. And then the second part, sorry. And then I'll, I'll be done is, is, uh, he, he thought we each have a fundamental capacity for personal change for conversion. Right. Uh, and, and <laughs> so that happens with Scrooge, obviously, but he, he, he believed that that was at the heart of what it means to be a human. You have a capacity to change. You have freedom. It's a drama. It's amazing, you know. And that and that effect, you know, that's so interesting because what it really plays into what you said before, the idea of suffer the little children to come unto me and uh, giving to the poor and uh, repent and, and change, uh, metanoia in the, in, in the Bible, all that stuff. He, he right. basically brought the gospel uh, into Victorian England. And in doing that, he kind of brought it, Victorian England, it, to us because we, we're still living in that story. That's right. No, that's right. It's it's so it's so beautiful. It is. We want to stay there. Yeah, it's beautiful. Dr. Dwight Lindley of Hillsdale College, thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I hope you have a Merry Christmas. My pleasure. Merry Christmas, Andrew. Bye. Bye. Just uh just remarkable that basically Dickens had to write his own gospel. And they did call it, they called it the fifth gospel when, when it was published. Uh, he had to write his own gospel to learn the gospel. I, I think that's so typical of an artist uh, that he has to recreate the world. So I want to look at some of my favorite Christmas movies and just see if, here's the quiz, see if you can see the theme that I see in all these stories. You know, there are Christmas movies that everybody loves uh, that I am not uh, as, as, as fond of, uh, you know, that people talk about, um, oh, the movie, um, White Christmas, um, which, by the way, I, I watch all the time, but it, but it is junk, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's great junk, but it's good. Uh, Die Hard, great movie, not a Christmas movie. I'm sorry, <laughs> like, this is just not a Christmas movie. And Christmas Story, everybody likes that, and it is sweet, and I grew up listening to uh, Gene Shepard, who was kind of, in my day, he was the hip, cool uh, radio announcer that only the really in crowd knew about, and so it was cool to know about him. So when it became a hit movie, it was kind of strange. But here are a couple of movies that, you won't, you don't know, uh, or you might not know. You might know uh, some of these. Uh, one is a, a 1940s picture called "Remember the Night," which is, uh, if you haven't seen this, I really recommend it. It's uh, Barbara Stanwyck and Fred McMurray. Ba Barbara Stanwyck is a shoplifter. Fred McMurray is she's a thief, and Fred McMurray is the DA who uh, goes to Buster, but he starts to fall for her. He doesn't want to leave her in jail over Christmas, so he takes her home to his country home, and she discovers the kind of the joys of that. And here's just a very brief uh, part of that. 
I can play a piece. I used to play in the ten cent store. Oh, but that'd be nice. I can sing the end of a perfect day. Willie. Well, I can. Well, so can everybody else. <laughs> Come on, Willie, sing. Oh. All right. <laughs> So that obviously she comes into this kind of country home and it starts to transform her life. And remember, we're looking for a single theme in all these uh, pictures. The ending of Remember the Night is a shocker. It really is a fascinating movie. And here's another one you may have seen. I love this movie, uh, The Bishop's Wife with Cary Grant and David Niven and Loretta Young. Um, David Niven is an ambitious uh, bishop, obviously. Don't watch the the remake of it the I can't remember what it's called the preacher's wife I think with uh, Whitney Houston but this picture is absolutely terrific it's so touching it's so moving uh, it is it's ad adapted uh, by Robert one of the uh, writers was Robert E Sherwood a very famous American writer um, it's a, a an ambitious bishop trying to raise money to build a, a cathedral. And he's neglecting his wife and he's neglecting the things that are important. And Cary Grant is an angel who comes down to help him out. And here is a scene where the bishop is too busy to visit his the small priest uh, who has got a, a boy's choir. So Loretta Young, as the bishop's wife, goes and visits with the angel in tow. And the uh, guy is embarrassed because none of the kids, the kids are all out in the street. I'm afraid some of our boys are a little late. We really should begin, but I, I don't see how we can. It's really quite embarrassing. But you know, it, it is a little difficult to compete with basketball and Christmas. They're all good boys at heart. I know they are. They'll show up. I hope so. Hello, Bobby. Hello. What do you sing? I sing first soprano. Oh, you're good? Mm -hmm. Well, how about giving out? Me alone? Well, you got George up there. Hello, George. Hello. Well, what do you say? Okay. You ready, Mrs. Duffy? Oh, yes. Hit it. seen this film you really have to watch it as i love the, the the little quiet touches like the fact that the angel knows the boys names but nobody really points it out and it happens throughout all little touches like that throughout the film he calls them in off the streets and they all come gathering with these beautiful voices here is another movie that is quite now, this movie seriously if you haven't seen it watch it this christmas you will love it here is a movie that is a little bit uh, on the serious side it's not for everybody it is really obscure it's called the holly and the ivy it's a British film uh, adapted from a play. It's got the great Ralph Richardson in it and Celia Johnson, who if you ever saw Brief Encounter, she's the lady in Brief Encounter. And it is about a, a another preacher uh, who has a very, very troubled family. And I could only find, I couldn't find a clip from it. I could only find a part of the trailer. So here are just a brief collection of small scenes of all the people coming for this family reunion to this terribly troubled household uh, run by a very serious preacher who is trying to serve God and his parish, but is neglecting his family. Did you forget we were coming or what? Nick, dear, how nice to see you. I didn't think you'd be here. Let me take that. What are you hanging around here for? I thought you'd be overseas by now. Maggie, you're not happy, are you? Who is? Oh, plenty of people. Perhaps. If they're stupid enough. Why must you always crackle like ice? Holly, I didn't know it had a smell. Yes, in the stalks when you break it. 
You know, it's in the carol, bitter as any gall. Mary bore sweet Jesus Christ for to redeem us all. Why don't you tell the truth? That's a whole trouble. You can't be told the truth! It's a great movie. It's not a happy movie, although it has a, it's very uplifting. It is a very uplifting movie because the spirit of God is out throughout even the troubles uh, that these people are in. So finally, I've got the the two, uh, my two favorites and everybody's two favorites, probably. It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life gets run down a lot. Uh, people, There are people who don't like it because I don't think they're watching it carefully enough. It is a very, very difficult movie in a lot of ways. Somebody once said that it, uh, one critic, a famous critic, I was talking to personally, he said it's much darker than people think it is. And I said, no, it's act it's not darker because critics, intellectual critics always think things have to be dark in order to be good. I said, what it is, is it's much more realistic than people think it is. And I don't have to tell you the story. I'm sure you've all seen it. But these are the two cuts from one cut from It's a Wonderful Life and one from A Christmas Carol. This sort of give away the theme that I'm looking at here. Uh, here is where uh, Jimmy Stewart comes back after seeing how horrible the world would be without the self-sacrificing life that he has lived. What the Sam Hill are you yelling for, George? You George, Bert, do you know me? Know you? <laughs> you kidding? I've been looking all over town trying to find you. I saw your car piled into that tree down there, and I thought maybe you... Hey, your mouth's bleeding. Are you sure you're all right? What you... <laughs> My mouth's bleeding, Bert! My mouth's bleeding! Zoot zoot pedals! Zoot zoot... There they are! Bert! What do you know about that? <laughs> Merry Christmas! He <laughs> goes back to this little town he's been stuck in all his life, and suddenly it's beautiful. And of course, I've, I've pointed this out before, that It's a Wonderful Life is the mirror image of A Christmas Carol. It is uh, the most generous, most self-sacrificing man learning from a supernatural source what the world would be like if he hadn't been born, whereas Scrooge is about the stingiest, nastiest guy in the world uh, being shown by a supernatural source what the world is like because he was born, how bad things are. And here's the moment where Scrooge, after being visited by the three spirits and the ghost of uh, Jacob Marley, uh, wakes up and finds he is not dead as he was in the future, uh, but very much alive. Tell me, what day is it? What day? What? It's Christmas Day, Christmas Day, Christmas Day, Christmas Day. Then I haven't missed it. <laughs> the spirits must have done everything in one night. Of course, they can do anything, can't they? Of course they can. <laughs> Are you quite yourself, sir? What? I don't know. No, I, I don't think so. I hope not. What? <laughs> the curtains are still here. They're still here. You didn't, you didn't tear them down and sell them. They're, they're here now. Everything's here. I'm here. <laughs> and the shadows of things that would be can still be dispelled. And they will be. I know they will be. I know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I'm as light as a feather. <laughs> I'm as happy as a, I'm as happy as an angel. I'm as merry as a schoolboy. <laughs> I'm as giddy. I'm as giddy as a drunken man. I, I never. <laughs> a merry Christmas, Ebenezer. <laughs> you old humbug. <laughs> this is Alistair Sim by far the best Scrooge. Don't let anybody tell you differently. And the reason is because he doesn't play him as you see him as a cranky old man. He plays him as a man with an inner life uh, who believes, who really believes in his philosophy, which is, of course, a destructive, greedy philosophy. Each of these movies in its own way and what makes, to me, It's a Wonderful Life so realistic, each of these movies uh, emphasizes the, the one theme that the world right this minute is beautiful. The world right this minute is perfect and joyful and wonderful. And the only thing that changes in these movies is the man, is the person who is looking at the world. Everything uh, that happened to um, to the, you know Jimmy Stewart in It's a Wonderful Life has still happened. He's st his life is still a small life that didn't he didn't get to travel the world. He didn't get to build the big buildings. That that doesn't change at all 
in his life when he comes back, but suddenly it's all beautiful. It's him. It's him who has changed. And what's changed about them? And you saw that in that wonderful scene from Remember the Night where the guy starts to sing is what does he sing when you come to the end of a perfect day? It's already a perfect day, you know, uh, and and that's what uh, these people haven't seen so far. What has changed that makes them see this? Of course, it's Christmas, but Scrooge says, I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past and the present and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. And the thing is, the past, the present, and the future are what we call eternity. People think, C.S. Lewis pointed this out, people think that eternity is a really long time, but it's not. It's all time in a single moment. It's all time now. And uh, this is St. Augustine said, in the, in, in the eternal Nothing passes away, but that the whole is present, but no time is wholly present, and let him see that all time passes forced on. So he says, in the eternal, he's, that nothing passes away, but the whole is present. In time, things uh, have to pass on. C.S. Lewis made this point, and I found what is apparently the only surviving uh, broadcast of the uh, broadcast he made during the war. This was in 1944. He was asked to make broadcasts about Christianity to remind people what they were fighting for, to remind people of what their civilization was based on. And of course, that became his great work. Uh, Those talks were put together into his great work, um, uh, Mere Christianity. This is C.S. Lewis explaining that God lives in eternity. Almost certainly, God is not in time. His life doesn't consist of moments following one another. If a million people are praying to him at 10.30 tonight, he hasn't got to listen to them all in that one little snippet, which we call 10.30. 10.30, and every other moment from the beginning to the end of the world is always the present. So in the birth of Christ, in the nativity, eternity, enters time. The vision of eternity, the logos, the sense of eternity, enters time in the person of Christ. And we talked to Knowles uh, for these last couple of weeks about, you know, the the different stories. He has been reading a book I recommended to him, uh, St. Benedict, which I recommend to everybody. He wrote a trilogy of very tiny, very beautiful, uh, I called him St. Benedict, Pope Benedict the 16th. Uh, he will be St. Benedict, but uh, he's still Pope Benedict Sixteenth, and he wrote this lovely trilogy of very small books about the life of Christ. They're all of them beautiful. The one on the nativity is especially beautiful. And we talked about how in doing this, there's this meeting of the all-powerful God with the free will of Mary in the Annunciation. She has to agree to this. She has to agree to take care of this child. This child now becomes a helpless child, dependent. God, the king of the universe, the creator of the universe, becoming dependent on these individual people in time. And we talked about the wise men, the magi, uh, who Benedict points out, you know, that that there was an idea among the Greeks, among the Greek philosophers, that their wisdom came from Egypt, that it came from the East, and that it had they were just kind of translating uh, that wisdom into philosophy, and it becomes Greek philosophy, which becomes very much our philosophy uh, and the basis of all our philosophy. And that the Magi came to visit Jesus, and then they went home by another way. In other words, the things that they thought, the wisdom that they had, the Zoroastrianism, uh, the even the, the Judaism, all the different philosophies, the philosophy of Aristotle, went home by another way, became a different kind of philosophy because it became charged with this eternity that it entered into time. So what I want to talk about in the last few minutes of the show of the year, I want to talk about what that means to you. Because who cares about them, right? <laughs> who cares about the magic? All them, all them people are dead. What about us? What does it mean for us? Because a lot of people tell you, there are people who tell you that the whole meaning of the incarnation is be good or you go to hell. Uh, don't have sex. Don't drink. Don't be gay. Don't do this. Don't do that. And, you know, some of that, some of it is is good advice. Uh, you know, I, some of it I would say live clean, you know, <laughs> take care of yourself. All of that is good advice, but I do not think we needed the king of heaven and earth to incarnate himself and die uh, in order to teach us that. I think everybody knows a little abstinence is good for you, a little, you know, self-control, all of those things are good. The point of Christmas, you know, Christmas is something that happened. 
It happened. It's done. Gospel, the word gospel means good news. And that's what it means. This is delivering good news of something that has already happened. God has lived and died and lived again, and it's done. This is delivering the good news. And what does it mean? It means you're free. You're saved. When they say you're saved, it means it's over. Stop worrying. The, the, the work is done, you know? And recently, I've been thinking a lot in my own life about how much nothing Christ asks us to do and how hard it is to do it, how hard it is. Let me just read you this little part that's not from the Christmas story, where, where Jesus says, which of you, by being anxious, can add even one cubit into the measure of his life? And why are you anxious concerning what you wear? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow they toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God doth so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Be not therefore anxious, saying, What shall we eat and what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that ye have need of these things. But seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Be not therefore anxious for the morrow, for the morrow will be anxious for itself. Don't worry. Christ is born. Relax. And, you know, people read this and they think it's about you don't have to work, the money will come. Of course, that, I don't think that is what it's about. I think it is about the fact that you are saved. The work is not yours to do. The eternal has come to earth. It has lived and died and lived again. And now you know that your life and time is based on eternity. So what does that mean, right? What does that mean? What's your purpose now? Well, first of all, it means that you were made an eternal creature. You are, the life that you live in time is really a life that is also being lived in eternity. And eternity looks different. In eternity, we know because Jesus was here. In eternity, your ailments are healed. All your ailments are healed. You can walk on water. You don't have to be afraid because there is no death. Death, you know, when Jesus returns, we realize that death has been defeated. It's over. And, you know, there's a line in Zen I practiced Zen for a long time, a wonderful uh, practice, by the way. Um, and there's a, there are little riddles that you kind of meditate on. They're called koans. And one of them is, what is your original face before you were born? And it's supposed to be mysterious, but it really is saying to you that you were made an eternal creature, a perfect creature. And you know, and I know, and all, every one of us knows that we are not that creature now. But what if we lived with the faith of eternity? If we lived the fa in faith that we are living in eternity, what would that world look like? And, and Jesus kind of tells us what it, was what it would look like when he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Well, when you see the world, as eternal, it looks different than when you see it, for instance, in politics. I'm always saying politics is the opposite of religion. Well, you'd go to politics, and right? Politics is all about judging the other guy, fighting the other guy, defeating the other guy, even hating the other guy. On one side of politics, you usually have people who want to tell you the rules. You know, they want you to live in a very constrained way. They're going to tell you what, what your social life should be like, what your sexual desire should be, all these things they want to tell you. We'll call them the right. We'll call them the right-wingers. On the other side, you have the left-wingers who are always telling you, you know what, there are no rules. There's no reality. There's not, you know, there's, it's every, everything is good. It's all good. And, you know, you have to basically put up with whatever anybody says. If some guy tells you he's a girl, he's a girl, and there is no reality. But what if both are not quite right? What if the fact is, that there is a reality, and the only time we ever saw it was in the person of Christ, and now it's kind of in darkness, so we're kind of left behind into this mysterious world. That reality, I mean, I think this is obviously true. We know there's a reality. Nobody, nobody turns right when they want to go left. Nobody turns left when they want to go right. We are all living in a world of facts. We are all living in a world of facts, but each of us is bringing a fresh new meaning to that world of facts. That is the work of creation that you do every day of your life, it's the work of creation that you do that makes you in the image of God. You are creating a world. Maybe the world comes to you in meaning by being a mom. Maybe it comes to you in meaning by being a doctor. Maybe it doesn't come to you through your work. Maybe it comes to you when you go and sing in the choir at church or some charity work that you do. Maybe you are bringing a meaning that no one has a right to judge if you're not hurting anybody else. And all these desires that you have that are, cause you so much trouble, they're all good. All your desires are good. They were given to you from, by God at the beginning as long as you don't sever them from God. If you keep your uh, 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 desires attached to God, you will find that they don't attach, for instance, to money. You may make a, a fortune 
without ever thinking about money. Remember, Jesus says, all these things will be given to you, or you may never see any money and you may never need it. You may never miss it. So that's why you're thinking about the wrong thing. See, each of us, each of us at, at one point has a, a unique reality to bring, and each of us is living in the same reality. And that's why you don't judge your neighbor. That is why you don't judge your neighbor. Obviously, you have to stop him if he's doing something criminal, but you don't judge him because you want to be together with him in his creation, his individual creation, but you also want to know what it is that you share between you. Where is reality? That, that, is, that is why it increases your joy to let it go to let go of your judgment, to let go of your guilt, to let go of your fear, to let it all go and live in faith of that internal world in which death is not no longer there, sickness doesn't matter. All these things not only will pass away, but they have passed away. Christmas is good news. It is good news. It's already happened. It's good news. And I know that each of us comes to the manger. We all come to the manger through our sin. We all come to the manger in trouble. We all come to it betrayed. We know everyone who trusted in the world, every one of us, we all of us trusted in the world and all of us were betrayed. Maybe you were betrayed by the way your parents treated you or the way some uh, woman or man broke your heart or the way you uh, didn't have enough money or the way you got all the money in the world and found it didn't solve your problems. We all come to the manger in sin and in trouble because we trusted in the world. But now, congratulations, you have seen eternity in time go home by another way. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. It's been such a joy talking to you all year. I'll be back in the new year to talk to you again. Meanwhile, Merry Christmas. Joy to the world. Joy to the Claven Show is produced by Robert Sterling, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Technical producer Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And our animations are by Cynthia Angulo and Jacob Jackson. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2017.